नमस्ते वेलकम टू इंडिक टुडे वी वेलकम स्वामी मेधानंद वी विल बी हैविंग अ वीडियो इंटरेक्शन विद स्वामी जी व्हिच विल बी फॉलोड बाय आवर वेब इंटरव्यू वी कैन सी देयर आर टू पार्ट्स ऑफ रिलीजन वन पार्ट ऑफ रिलीजन इज साधना एंड अनदर पार्ट ऑफ रिलीजन इज फिलॉसफी सो समवेयर स्वामी जी वुड बी टॉकिंग अबाउट हाउ इज ही गिविंग स्कॉलर्स प्रैक्टिशनर व्यू ऑन द रिलीजियस फिलॉसफी so i will read out swami uh, medhananda cv uh, he is a very dynamic and young monk of ramkrishna mission uh, currently swami medhananda is a senior research fellow in philosophy at the ramakrishna institute of moral and spiritual education in mysore he is the recipient of several fellowships across the world swami ji has finished his phd from university of california berkeley in german aesthetics his first book dialectics of aesthetic agency was published by bloomsbury in 2013 swami ji is an expert in vedanta philosophy scriptural hermeneutics ramakrishna vivekananda thought and philosophy of sri aurobindo his second book on ramakrishna's philosophy was published by the oxford university press in 2018 the book was very well received across academia and also in ramakrishna vivekananda circles swami ji is also the editor of the bloomsbury research handbook of vedanta it was published in 2020 and scholars across the world have contributed to it swami ji's upcoming book swami vivekananda's vedantic cosmopolitanism would be published by the oxford university press in 2022 so as i introduce him the first question that naturally comes to my mind and i'm sure that would come to readers mind as well that what made swami ji join the mission after being born and brought up in usa over to you swami ji uh, thank you um so i was born and raised in boston in massachusetts uh, my parents of course were bengali hindus uh, but they were not devotees they didn't introduce me to the life of teaching with ram krishna and i came to them on my own um fairly late in my life so when i was 19 i was an undergraduate student in california um and i read the gita the bhagavad gita for the first time but i didn't know sanskrit at the time so i i read it in sri aurobindo's english translation um and that i don't know that it was one of the earliest things i can remember when i was really kind of mm, I felt sort of moved to eventually become a monk. I just had this idea that I wanted to renounce ordinary worldly aims and values for the sake of a higher goal. And at the same time roughly I had the sense that if I was to be a monk I should be a monk in India because of the rich spiritual heritage um because i was born and raised in the west and in the us in particular um you know everything is so it's a very affluent country right so you're surrounded by wealth and materialism and i thought that um india would be a more conducive environment for my spiritual pursuits um and then i started my phd at berkeley and within one semester more or less i had told my professors that I finished my PhD and then moved to India and be a monk. And nobody believed me at the time, um, but uh, I had I just had this idea, 
and I was quite convinced about it. And that was, I had decided to become a monk before I had known anything about Sri Ramakrishna or Swami Vivekananda. Um, but during my PhD, I read Swami Vivekananda's Raja Yoga. And I believe I also read um, at about that time, the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. And I liked Swami Vivekananda's book so much that I ordered the entire nine volume complete works from the Kolkata Advaita and I read the whole thing, the nine volumes, very quickly, probably within a year or so, um, during my PhD. Um, and then I, after finishing my PhD in 2009, um, my parents were living in Southern California at the time, near Hollywood. So I spent some time with them, and I, I purchased a one-way ticket to India to become a monk. So I, I told my parents, and then I found out that a very senior monk of the order was the head of the Hollywood ashram. His name is Swami Swahan. Who was a disciple of Swami Vidyanananda, who was a direct yes. disciple of Sri Ramakrishna. And I just looked at the Hollywood Ashram website and I thought, you know, before I go to India, I should pay my respects to this, this senior Swami. So I, I went to the Hollywood Ashram the 2009 summer. And uh, I did pronounce to him when I met him. We talked very briefly. He asked me a little bit about what I was doing. And I told him I wanted to be a monk. And I was I, I told him I was going to move to India soon to become a Sanyasi. And then he, he said, let me give you Diksha. He offered to give me Diksha, which means mantra initiation. Um, and at first, I was a bit reluctant, actually, because I, my plan was to get Diksha in India. And then he kind of he made a strong case. He said, you'll find that in the, if, you, if you get Diksha from me, it'll be one-on-one. -on -one. You know, it'll be in my room. There won't be any other devotees or other people getting initiated at the same time. And it'll be a more personal experience. Um, and that finally persuaded me, and I, I and I was I feel blessed that uh, I was given Diksha on my birthday. He arranged to give it to me on my birthday, um, and within a month I came to India, and then I joined the order in Bilumat at Vivekananda University in 2010, and I was there for 11 years, and I just recently uh, moved here to uh, Mysore to continue my academic work. Um, and one thing that I feel really grateful about is that. Because my academic background is in philosophy, I'm able to relate my academic work to my spiritual life in a really direct way. My academic work is on Sri Ramakrishna and Vivekananda and Vedanta and Sri Aurobindo. Um, and that's not the case with many other monks in the order. Even at, at Vivekananda University, 98% of the monks have, have background in some science subject, whether it's physics, computer science, and mathematics. And it's not as easy to connect those kinds of subjects to um, spirituality, right? So that's one thing I feel very grateful. And uh, can you tell uh, tell us about your upbringing? That how much you were familiar with Indian scriptures, or like uh, most of the Indian families we are brought up, uh, maybe uh, uh, talking in uh, mother tongue. Then we are reading Sanskrit shlokas and all that is part of our upbringing. So how was it in in West for you? Yeah, um, I spoke Bengali with my parents at home, hmm. but we did, we never talked about Hindu scriptures or anything like that. My mother, she would do puja twice a day. Um, and she would read the Gita on her own. She would never talk to me about it. Um, uh, we would, the typical life of a Hindu family in the West is that you'll go to a Hindu temple for certain rituals, like whether it's Annaprasham, which is that first solid food feeding at six months, or for marriages or for this and that, uh, or for like special pujas. But it all felt very mechanical to me, and they never explained the kind of Vedantic 
significance of any of these things or, or the scriptural background. Um, uh, one thing I'll mention though is that uh, I, I went to Bengali school once a week on Sundays from about age six to age 12 or 13. Um, and again, there we didn't discuss anything about Indian religion or spirituality, but I learned Bangla, uh, like how to read and write Bangla um, and a little bit about India's history. But in terms of kind of spiritual background, absolutely nil. Uh, I was not taught in any way. Um, as I said, I, I, um, I just, you know, just I, from, from the general academic culture I was in, I had heard about the Bhagavad Gita and I was also interested in world religion. So I was reading the Bible. I was also reading the Quran. I was reading Dhammapada and I read Gita and, you know, just to get a kind of broad sense of the different religions. I was doing kind of, you can call it religious shopping or spiritual shopping because I hadn't settled on uh, my path yet. Um, and so, yeah, I went into spirituality and religion with a very open mind. I hadn't decided in advance what tradition I would follow. I didn't even think I would, I would necessarily follow a Hindu tradition. Um, I kept everything open and then I just, you know, now I see it by God's grace, but I, I was led in a certain direction. Right, so we can see that you decided to become a monk when you were pursuing your PhD. Uh, so, uh, how did your family react to this? In the in the typical way that families react, not very well. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, except one thing about there's a big difference between Indian families, meaning families in India and those in in the West. Um, in the West, at the age of 18, the child leaves the household and lives in the university that they're studying. And I think in India, often you still live with your parents and there's a much closer ties. But so from the age of 18, I moved uh, across the country, you know, from Boston to California, which is, you know, it's 300, 3,000 miles apart. Um, and they know that, they've always known that I'm a very independent type of person. I have a sister who's much more sort of uh, obedient. Um, so they were already expecting that I would, you know, do something a bit unusual and, um, no matter what they would say, they couldn't convince me. If I if I felt that something was right, I would do that. I would you know I wouldn't be persuaded by them. So in light of that, my own knowing knowing my personality, once I told them that I was going to be a monk and that I bought a one way ticket, I mean I showed them the ticket, you know, and it was a one way ticket. There was no return flight. <laughs> then they understood. I had been warning them for years before that. They didn't believe me, but when I showed them the one way ticket, then they they said, oh boy, this guy's serious. And then they tried to convince me this way and that way, and then finally they just accepted it. Now they're very happy. And in fact, after, within a few years of my joining the Ramakrishna Order, they also um, became initiate, uh, initiated devotees. Uh, their guru is Swami Gautama Namaji. And uh, now they're doing spiritual practices and they're very happy for me. But they're all, I mean, as Indian parents, they're also happy that I, I was able to do my academic work while also a monk. Um, yeah, it made it less painful for them, let's say. <laughs> yes. Because one of their first points was, well, you just did your PhD, you're throwing it all in the garbage, what's the point? It's all a waste. So, I, so now I can show them, no, it's not a waste. You can see all the work that I'm doing based on my PhD work. It's, you know, I'm still working on Sharam Krishna, Vivekananda, and publishing with good publishers. So just a last question in this continuation uh, that I wanted to ask that, uh, did you, had you visited India before uh, you joined a mission? Yeah, many, many times. Uh, from age two, my parents, I would come with my parents to visit relatives um, every other year of my life. So age two, age four, age six, like that, more or less like that. 
um, for about a month at a time in the winter season. That was, we, we have, in the US, there's about a one month uh, vacation in December. So at that time, we would come to India, visit my relatives in Kolkata and also in Odisha um, and Puri. Um, and uh, yeah, so I had a taste of India. And when I was very young, I, I, I hated, I didn't, I thought it was very dirty. And, yes. I would make fun of it. And then once I became a, a little older, about 18, 19, I started appreciating it much more. And, uh, and then suddenly it occurred to me, I, I need to be a monk in India. So the whole thing just, this is all Sri Ramakrishna's play, I think. <laughs> so Sri Ramakrishna brought you here once again, we can see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. After a long kind of detour. Yeah. Uh, yes, and uh, readers will definitely read elaborately in our web interview, but one question uh, which I would like to ask, which is based on your upcoming book, which is which is Swami Vivekananda's Vedantic Cosmopolitanism. So maybe scholars may know, know it a lot of, there is a lot of discussion on Indian philosophy, on Vedanta philosophy, on Vivekananda's thought. So can you explain it to, from the general reader's point of view, this term, Vedantic Cosmopolitanism of Swami Vivekananda in brief? Yeah, so um, the word cosmopolitan, I mean, most people know, but they may not know that the etymology of the word, it, it's a combination of two words, cosmos, which means world, right, or universe, and polis, um, which means citizen. So a cosmopolitan is somebody who is a citizen, not of any particular country, but of the entire world. So that's the real idea that I was trying to convey with the title, and it's the overarching kind of interpret interpretive approach that I'm adopting um, throughout the book. The idea is that Swami Vivekananda himself would often insist, I don't just belong to India, I belong to the entire world. And he would say it again and again in another place. Actually, the epigraph to my book is, he originally wrote it in Bengali, but um, I, I also, I gave the Bangla and then I also did the English translation, but the English is this. My motto is to learn whatever is great, wherever I may find it. So the idea is that as a cosmopolitan, he was looking to learn from all the different countries of the world, all the different cultures, all the different great intellectual traditions. And he didn't care so much about which tradition it was, um, but more about the value of the ideas. Um, and so throughout my book, I'm, I'm arguing that Swami Vivekananda adopted a he, was a, he was a cosmopolitan thinker in the sense that he drew upon both Western and Indian ideas and then fused them and synthesized them in creative and new ways. Um, and my cosmopolitan approach to Vivekananda differs from two of the prevailing approaches to Vivekananda's thought. The first being that Swami Vivekananda was more or less a follower of Shankara's Advaita Vedanta. Um, so, they like, so many scholars claim that he basically taught the same Advaita Vedanta except in a slightly different kind of clothing. Um, and I think that that approach significantly narrows and reduces um, the importance and the value of um, his philosophical ideas. And the second approach, which is more adopted by a number of Western scholars, starting with Paul Hackard, um, is the neo-Vedantic approach. And these scholars claim that Vivekananda was actually, he, he, he was not a follower of Shankara, he was what's called a neo-Vedantin, which means he taught a new kind of Vedanta philosophy, which was not grounded in any Indian tradition, but was more influenced by Western ideas and Western values. Um, and they often, you know, people who, who argue that he was a Neo-Vedantin often have a, some kind of agenda and they often use it as a kind of criticism. Um, so Paul Hacker, for instance, who was a Catholic theologian himself, 
he he claimed that Vivekananda um, was passing off what were essentially Western ideas as Indian ones, as his own ideas, in order to, in order to promote Hindu nationalism. Because at the time, of course, India was under British colonial rule, and this was one way that um, he was trying to assert the superiority of Indian culture over uh, the culture of their oppressors, of India's oppressors. Um, so anyway, I, I also, so I disagree with both of these um, um, fundamental approaches to Vivekananda, and I'm, I'm defending this new cosmopolitan approach to um, Vivekananda's thought. And I, I should mention that I'm not the first to, de to defend the cosmopolitan approach to Vivekananda. Um, I'll just mention a couple scholars um, um, who have defended a similar approach. James Medeo um, is especially noteworthy. Um, he published an article in 2017 called Rethinking Neo-Vedanta, where he, that's a very important article for my book and I cite it in my book. Um, he's one of the first to really argue for a cosmopolitan approach to Vivekananda's thought. So what is unique about this book is that you are highlighting the background Vivekananda's scriptural hermeneutics of rereading of Vedanta and how it is rooted in Sri Ramakrishna and uh, very much in Indian tradition. Is this what you are arguing? And this is what I think uh, readers will get to uh, understand in the book. Yeah, that, that in, at least that's in the first three chapters of the book. Uh, <laughs> my book is big and it has 10 chapters in four sections. And so what you just mentioned is, is the first part of my four, four part book. Um, uh, the first section is called Integral Advaita. And there I argue that Swami Vivekananda is reinterpreting the Vedantic scriptures and reinterpreting Advaita Vedanta in the light of his Guru Sri Ramakrishna's very broad, expansive kind of spiritual philosophy, which I which I call Vigyana Vedanta in my previous book, Um and then in, in subsequent sections of my book, I discuss many different issues which are more cross-cultural in nature. So my book has kind of two different aims. One is trying to just have a better understanding of what Vivekananda's philosophical views are and how they're based. Um, in very creative um, syntheses of both Western and Indian ideas. And secondly, there's this cross-cultural component. I, I try to bring Swami Vivekananda's philosophical ideas into dialogue with contemporary Western philosophers um, and, and their views on a number of different issues like the nature of faith, the limits of reason, um, the hard problem of consciousness, and a number of other topics. Definitely, Swamiji. Uh, so please, uh, thank you, Swamiji, for this interaction. And we request readers on Indic Today web portal, uh, please read the detailed interview along with it. Yeah, thank you, Swamiji.